DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join Hans and Scotty Friday at The Warehouse from 10 to 2. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom! Question of the day. Which one do you want to argue about? We got two. We got one segment here. I'm tired of winning arguments. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> once you've done it once or twice. Uh, the first one. Or the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how his mood changes over the course of the oh, show, Yuck? It's not true. <laughs> Your mood doesn't change? I agree. It does. Not. It totally does. No, it doesn't. I want to stimulate people in the morning. How are these NBA teams able to keep winning playoff games without their best players? It's amazing. And the story has been all these injuries. I've actually found it fascinating that these teams lose their top guys and continue to win. That's the story to me. Injuries are not the story because that happens all the time. What is fascinating and impressive is these teams winning without their clearly, without question, best player. That's the story. Lou Williams is basically buried on the bench in Atlanta. He comes over in the trade, right? And he's a sixth man. He shoots. And the way I remember him with the Clippers, hasn't done much. Lou, we need you. Sweet Lou. Gets the job done. That's, so that's the story. So is it really these teams or it's the Clippers? These teams. Oh, wait, that's dreams. Uh, yes, it's the Hawks. It's the Clippers. No, it's well, the, the Hawks. Hawks. The no, Hawks. And the Suns won. <clears throat> what a campaign. He went out for like 27, 29 points. Chris Paul, he missed two games. He wasn't injured. It was his protocol. So it's not just the Clippers. No, you say dumb stuff, and then you force me to argue. Oh, you're argumentative. The you're Clippers, right. It's just the Clippers. <clears throat> the Clippers. There. Okay. Good. This. <laughs> this son's his body language. We do need a camera. He's pouting. His body language would totally sell this. We're pouting. Now. Well, yeah. Well, I, that uh, this rap of being argumentative when the you sons, say it. The Suns beat the Lakers because the Lakers had injuries. Oh. Bleep you. That's, <laughs> that is a total disregard and the disrespect were to the up, Suns. The Lakers were up 2-1. AD got hurt, and the Suns won the series. The Jazz were up 2-0, and, or 2-2, and Kawhi got hurt, and the Clippers won the series. Right. And I said, it's the Clippers. It's not all these teams. It's, it's the Clippers. No, it's not. It's, I just named you two examples. Campaign goes for 29 Guy sounds like a political thing. Campaign. The Hawks. And well, Trey, the, I thought they were dead. The Hawks and the Bucks were the healthiest teams in the East, so they're in the final. And now they both had a major injury, so somebody is going to win without their major star. Well, who was injured in the, the Sixers in the playoffs? I forget. Ben Simmons. Yeah, mentally. <laughs> well played. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. The Australians, are, they're having Fosters now when he decided not to play for the Olympics. The Nets were the injured team in the East, and they went out. So they didn't, they didn't win with the injuries. Injuries have knocked a lot of teams out. But the Clippers two. have overcome them so far. Two. I, I can't say the Jazz got knocked out on injury when Kawhi Leonard wasn't playing. That's another example that's of a wash. Both, both teams have injuries. And that's what we've got in the East right now is both teams have injuries. 
Trey Young was on the sideline being a cheerleader, and Giannis and, and, is and limping and off the and court. And Hawks were going to win that game. They were in charge. But 10-point leads third quarter, it's not done. And you've said that many times. They were going to win that game. We'll never that, know. That's how it felt. They were in charge. And they had taken they, control of They were early. like Charles. The, the lost with the Giannis injury is how bad the Bucks looked in the second quarter. And he's not exactly they Mr. Terrible. Clutch. No, Middleton although, is taking the clutch Although I haven't, uh, the book on him is still, no, it's still very written. written. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's complete and total disrespect to Phoenix to say the only reason they won is because Anthony Davis got hurt. I don't think the Lakers are as good this year as they were last year. Agree with that, but still good enough to beat the Suns. You don't know that. That's that in your opinion, and I can't argue with opinion. I can say it's stupid, <laughs> but you can't argue. I can't argue to be conclusive. No, I can't. They were up two one. He was going for thirty four points a game, and it didn't look like they had an well, answer. Yeah, and he they lost game one when he was playing. So you're acting like you they don't were up three zero. You don't win. Another. They don't win every game. Even last year when they won the title, they were still dropping. But yet a you've game. got them winning two right. more games. And the Suns were were hurt themselves at the start of that series because Chris Paul went down with his shoulder. And even you're when he not, was playing, he clearly wasn't himself. You're not your argument there. I know, but I'm telling the truth, and you always want the truth. You say you can handle know, the truth. I know, but I didn't want to. I'm, no, I'm conceding that point. Right. I, I didn't want to bury you with that because I felt I but would But you didn't have to. I pled guilty. I mean, I, don't, I knew it was already there. It was already there. So, so the question is, how are the Clippers able to keep winning playoff games? And they have dudes. They have dudes. They do. And they have... They got ballers. Probably depending on how you want to count it, but you can make the argument for 10, 11, or 12. They got ballers. Guys who can make huge, huge baskets. And you got to include Paul George on that because he's elevated his game. Paul George is a true superstar in this series anyway. And I don't care if he goes 5 for 20 tonight. It's going to happen. I mean, he's not the purest shooter here. He's not Steph Curry. Uh, so in defeat, if it should come to that, they he has he certainly has my admiration for sure. And I think he's got a lot of folks. I mean, he he's he's I I think he shed that reputation. So he's averaging thirty points a game in this series, as opposed to series where he just slowly collapsed until he was doing nothing at the end of a series. That's not where he is, and he may stink it up tonight. But uh, and plus, I heard a stat: he's playing. He's played one hundred and fifty more minutes than the next closest guy in the postseason. He's playing over forty freaking minutes every single game. Nobody does that anymore. He is. So they've got dudes. And to me, it's everything, it, the the whole NBA, for me, is how it relates to the Jazz. The Jazz are at the center, and everything else is a spoke, right? How does it relate to the Jazz? And the Clippers, as I look at the Clippers, I just see them having some ballers, some gamers. Get some of those guys. George Niang's making a turnover, and he's slumping his shoulders. That's not going to get it done. I mean, he just looked, he couldn't have looked any less confident. That's not, that's not a baller. And I'm not going to give up on Niang by any stretch. You know, this was basically his first time being a rotational guy where, hey, we're counting on you. We need you. 
and he didn't come through. Now, I don't take any pleasure in saying that, but you talk about speaking the truth. Everybody would agree on that, and he would agree on that. So I'm not about to give up on him. Go to work and get better. You so hate, a year from now is your time. You hate me bringing up the buyout mar- market, but I think that's how you get around that. Because if you're going to draft guys or pick up the young, overlooked free agent, whether it's undrafted guy or the guy who played in Europe for a couple of years the way Royce did, you got to go through that process where they, where they get up to speed. When you go to the buyout market, you're often buying the veteran who's already had those moments. He had to suffer, but he did it with somebody else. One of those other spokes on the wheel you talk about, not with the Jazz. So that's the advantage of the buyout market. And I don't think anybody can say, you can say, well, okay, when you're building a team, did the Jazz outdraft the other team or did they outtrade the other team? We've always conceded the Jazz aren't going to build through free agency. Now they hit with Bogey, that's a pretty good signing. He's done some good stuff for him. So four different ways to build draft. Trade, free agency, but you got to look at the buyout market, especially because that's a chance to get the veteran who's a baller, who's been there, who's succeeded sometimes, who's failed sometimes, who is now 31, 32, whatever, and can step in and help you. Yeah, but I think the Clippers would win. They would have beat the Jazz without Batum and Reggie Jackson. I'll give you Batum, but I think Reggie had an enormous impact on that series. That would have been a big hole in the Clippers game. And maybe somebody else would have just stepped yeah, in, yeah, yeah. you know? So I can't argue that. Does that great author turn man mean anything to you? Man. <laughs> okay, that's not a real author, number one. Number two, that was a movie, not real life. It's my life. Okay. <laughs> it may not be your life. It's my life. I just want to be left alone. So, yeah, you, you, you have to make assumptions. I don't want to make assumptions, man. I want, I want to see and make evaluations, not assumptions. Once I start making assumptions, that makes me nervous. So I, I don't think the Clippers' success is built upon the buyout market, of all things. It was a factor, and it's something I think the Jazz are going to have to use to improve themselves going forward. Well, get them earlier. You know, they, they got plenty of veterans. And even without Dwayne Wade and Ryan Smith, this franchise has long proven that veterans are willing to come here. That You cannot dispute that you can whatsoever. go back to Starks or Manning or, I don't know, pull another Pete name. Chill cut. <laughs> no, you cannot do that. Why not? Because that didn't work, even remotely. That's not the point. The point is veterans willing to come here. I mean, Jeff Green didn't work if you want to go down that road. But he was a veteran willing to come here, clearly. So that's not an issue. They can get those guys. They got to decide what they want to do with all these young guys because they've got a change in management now. And so what does that mean? Do they go? There's there's turnover every year. I mean, somebody's going to turn over. But did they... But who are they giving up on and who are they like going to keep Mione investing? And, and uh, Brantley and probably other guys I can't even think of now have been here. Uh, Howard or Morgan, I should say. I was thinking Jawan. Uh, Morgan. Uh, it seems like these guys have been here for a couple of years now, so they keep coming back. Azabuke is going to come back, I would think. Uh, so uh, 
find a way to develop them. If they can't develop them, then get them out of here and replace them with guys that you can count on. And, and I, if I need you to sit there for two weeks, sit there for two weeks. And then in the third week, if I need you, be ready. I've, I've always said those guys at the end of the bench, they're not paid to play. They're paid to be ready to play. So they can, you can get the buyout market ahead of the game, and it didn't have to come to that. Veterans will come here. There's just no doubt about it. More than ever. Well, they're in win-now mode, so brace for veterans in the offseason. Because they didn't fluke their way to the best regular season record. Let's not forget that. The, dis- the playoff ended in disappointing fashion, for sure. But that doesn't take away from the 50-some wins in the first place. Not at all. No, not at all. So the point being, add to it and get yourself better and build some insurance in case of injury. That's what you need to do. The closer you get to the title, the more veterans are going to find the place appealing. It's what a lot of them are chasing. So the closer you get, the more likely they are to be interested. And they'll be available, you know, depending on what they want to do financially and how they decide to go with uh, Mike Conley and all that stuff. This team's close. Put the pedal to metal and take another shot at it next year. This this playoff loss did not discourage me at all going forward. It disappointed me, but I don't think it discouraged me. You're stronger than most, PK. I think if you step back and you look at it, I can make a compelling case. Who on this team is going to slip? Who on this team is going to be better? Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Totally agree on Donovan. Royce O'Neal. And that seems ridiculous to Jordan say. Jordan Clarkson. It seems ridiculous to say, coming off that 39-point game, but... I don't think it does seem ridiculous to say. Because you're just highlighting one individual game. He's got more 50-point playoff games in him. True or false? I would say true. I mean, because yeah. he's 24 years old. Uh, so, but you know, I don't want him to have to go for fifty. That'd be great if he didn't have to, but if you need it, it's great that he can. The burden on him, on a half an ankle, was tremendous. And that, that's the thing about that closeout game. The burden on Paul George was barely anything, because other guys were getting it done. Yeah. You got Bucky freaking Dent and Terrence freaking man. Nice. And then, like in game five, when he's 15 to 20, Paul George has got it going on. So, Terrence, I don't need you, big guy. I got this. And he had one of the better, if not the best game he's ever played. So, good on Paul for doing that. But Donovan, it seemed like every friggin' game, it's on Donovan. Oh, my gosh, he's only got six points at halftime. What's going on? Just getting ready for a third quarter explosion. Yeah, but now, but distribute the points evenly so we don't have to get Ajita and wait until the second half explosion. We're back in Jersey. Yeah. Ajita. I'm most definitely going to see that uh, Sopranos movie. There's something, something about Nork is in the title. The Saints of Newark. The Saints of Newark, man. How about that? Bringing both cultures together. You got Nork. Where my father grew up, and you got the saints. There's a bunch of saints out here. It's coming together. 
I'm sure people in Louisiana think this has something to do with them. You got... They ain't Saints. We're Saints here. Bunch of Saints fans down there. Who that? No. That's just a football team. This is this is real life, my friend. There's a big difference. This is a constant 19 years of education I've had to do. I feel like I got a doctorate in teaching with you. I've had to teach you so much. And you've come around. You're still not there, but you've come around. Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer, joins us next. We'll run all these NBA theories past him. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. He works for Bleacher Report mode to kill with his... With them already over the cap. If they just let Mike Connolly walk away, it's not like they have the money to go replace him. Because they have bird rights and things like that, they can go over the cap to sign him. It's not as easy, you know, as, as it just seems. Logically, you're just like, oh, well, you can just go spend the $20 million else, elsewhere. It's not the way it works with, with the way the cap is set up in the current situation with the Jazz. They got to re-sign him. And then from there, you can build out. You got to re-sign Mike Connolly. And you got to start looking at other places and where you can make adjustments. Nothing should really be off the table except Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are coming back next year. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. PK and Dan Devine joins us now, NBA writer for The Ringer. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today, guys? We're doing well. There are still jazz fans, nursing wounds, healing up. From your perspective... What went wrong? What needs to be fixed? Uh, I think you could start with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley getting hurt. <laughs> I mean, at the risk of, of being a very simple man. I am a simple man, though, so you've got to go with what fits. Um, the Jazz were a team that was built all year long on their capacity to break down opponents off the dribble, get the, you know, get the machine sort of working, swing, swing, kick the ball around, and... Uh, create advantageous shot situations, whether it was three-pointers or driving closeouts to get good looks um, or breaking them down in the pick-and-roll to get Rudy Gobert uh, high handoffs at the rim. And then when you are without one of your top two ball handlers for the bulk of the postseason, and then when he comes back, he is uh, you know, not, certainly not the all-star caliber player that we had seen from Mike Conley earlier in the season. And then when Donovan Mitchell picks up the knock that he picked up that, that was harming him in terms of his ability to push off and explode and, and you know, win one-on-one matchups, which is sort of the, the elemental building block of a lot of that offense, um, things start to stagnate and slow down. And then when, when that happens, when the Jazz are not outscoring everybody, but the, you know, one of the most high-octane offenses that the league has seen in recent years, you start to see the, uh, the themes a bit in the defensive structure as, on a team that has been tilted more towards offense the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, there's 
Rudy Gobert covers up a lot of sins. Everybody knows that. Uh, and the issue that you wind up with is there's not a whole, not quite as many one-on-one stoppers uh, to be able to go out and just lock somebody up. You know, Royce O'Neal has, has you know, turned into a really nice player, a great player in Utah, but um, pretty much everybody else was either at a size disadvantage or a physicality disadvantage or a quickness disadvantage in their one-on-one matchups when Utah, Los Angeles went small. And so if the Clippers are dragging Rudy out of the, out of the paint, you need everybody else to be able to win one-on-one defensively and stay in front of their man, and they couldn't do that. And so I don't know that you look at all of that and say this is indicative of, you know, fatal flaws and, you know, uh, I know like a poisoned tree that needs to be uprooted or anything like that. I think it's just, you know, the, the theory of who the Jazz were has changed over the past couple of years. It went from we're going to win with defense to, okay, well, that imposes a ceiling on us when we get to the playoffs. We have to be able to generate better offensive possessions. So they did that. They went out and they changed the structure of the team, bringing in Conley, bringing in Bogdanovich, uh, putting so much more of a creative load on Donovan, uh, bringing in Jordan Clarkson, and then – pick up a couple of injuries, the offense doesn't look quite the way it normally does, and then that sort of showcases what's up with the defense. So, I mean, the, 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 all of that is to say the, the, the short answer is you need two-way wings who can create, shoot, and also defend. And the bad news about that is every single team in the NBA is looking for the best versions of those guys, and they're pretty hard to find. One of the things that bothered me is that they got contributions from guys in the regular season that they didn't get to the level or certainly didn't get above the level of what they had done in the regular season. And you look at some of these teams, obviously the Clippers, uh, Phoenix with uh, campaign, uh, and Lou Williams comes off the bench when Trey Young can't play. And these guys produced beyond what we've expected. And when I look at the Jazz bench, nobody produced even what I thought they were capable of, let alone beyond as far as that goes. And so they're having this struggle as they got a bunch of younger guys on the bench. Uh, do you develop them? Uh, but I got to win now. It, it, it's a dilemma there. So you're in charge. Uh, do you try to develop these guys on the bench or do you just move away from them and try to bring in better players that even if they don't get to play for a few games when they're called upon, they can come in there and do well? I mean, I think it's got to be a little of column A and a little of column B, right? I mean, to, to some degree, it's because you are the, – the, you know, the guys you mentioned who have uh, outperformed perhaps their, rep, uh, their reputation or you know, uh, wound up producing uh, over and above what, they, what you would have anticipated from them, you're talking about guys who can break people down off the dribble and create shots. And that's you – know, I think we see that uh, play up in the postseason just about every year. And – you know, the Jazz have one of those guys, and he was so good during the regular season that he won sixth man of the year. Um, but what makes Jordan Clarkson a sixth man as opposed to a superstar shooting guard is that he does that every other night as opposed to every night, right? And I think that's kind of the issue. Or, or, or you, you can't bank on him doing it for you know, 25 in an elimination game every night. You, sometimes it happens and he can carry your offense for a quarter. Sometimes it's, you know, three for nine or three for ten, and you're wondering when, you know, when the next shot's going to go down. Um, so to some degree, you know, you've, you've made your, your bed in terms of, of extending him. I think that was, it was a move that they had to make, you know, to, to re-sign him. They, it was a, he's a vital part of the team, and he performed great. 
he's performed great uh, essentially since he got there. Uh, did not have the postseason he wanted, but I think that's true, as you mentioned, sort of up and down the roster. I think the issue is, you know, you're, you're already locked in with uh, the Gobert extension, with the Donovan extension, with uh, Clarkson now on the board, on the on the books, and then probably in all likelihood they're going to. You know, you're a capped out team. You're over the cap. You're going to have to go use the bird rights to try to bring back Mike Conley because you can't just get nothing. You let him walk for nothing. You don't have the cap space to replace what he brings, uh, and he's been great. So you're operating as an over the cap team without much flexibility to bring in a whole lot of talent. So I think you know you can look for. You know, guys that you might be able to, to target with your mid-level exception or, or something like that. Uh, you know, the sort of the smaller around-the-margins additions that you can sign in free agency. But you're going to have to see what you can, you know, develop with a guy like, you know, Mieoni or, you know, the, the other sort of recent draft picks. Like, is, you know, are you going to be able to hit a home run again with Jarrell Brantley or something like that? Juwan Morgan are these guys, you know, the kind of guys where, like, you can get some player, you know, the player development system that has churned out so many positive contributors in Utah. Can those guys kind of play up uh, with some more time, some more reps, and some more seasoning? And uh, and then you know, beyond that, it's you know, you have to try to look work the margins because you've made your big bets. You've bet on Donovan. You've bet on Rudy. You've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining you're going to be betting on Conley. Uh, you know, you, you've bet on Clarkson. You've made those decisions. So now it's, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of money to play with. So it, it, it needs to be we do better with what we have. We, you know, chalk up some of this injury and some of it. We try to, you know, get in the lab and, dis- and dissect where we fell short in terms of defensive scheme or is there a way we can coach up some of the, some of the guys on that end. And then you, you, know, you put everything you can into getting those younger pieces on the fringes of the roster to be more playable when it matters most. So losing to a Clipper team that has got four guys who contributed at different times who are only getting paid $7 million. It is possible to get production out of not a lot of money. It's not easy. 100%. 100%. Nobody, nobody knew Terrence Mann's name last year. And now, you know, like that. So that's the, I mean, it's about, but it's about the right guys, right? It's about finding the right kind of players. Mann plays up because he is a, you know, big guard, small wing with length, athleticism, who can shoot, and, and who is a north-south attacker who can defend multiple positions. Again, not easy to find guys who can check all those boxes, but when it, you, they, they are out there. There are guys who, can, who fit those bills. It's about finding those kind of guys. Cause we, and you want to find them now as opposed to having to pay the market rate for them because when, if Terrence Mann keeps doing this, when he gets to free agency, he's going to be in line for a gigantic raise. You've got to be on the early side of that, for, of that uh, growth curve rather than the later one. Well, they're early with him, but Batum, Jackson, and Cousins will all be free agents in the offseason. They're not making any money either, and at different times, they've all given them something. Yeah, and, and I think so. some of that is – but, I mean, those are also – with the exception of Batum, and Batum was a, somebody I wrote about early in the season. I thought he made a ton of sense. I think I had even talked, to, talked about him a little bit last year where it's like that's a guy who has been in sort of a depressed situation in Charlotte – um, where he's been injured a bit and also just hasn't really played in games of consequence for a while, but he fits the bill of a guy who, when he gets an opportunity, can check off a lot of boxes and, and, and in a, a better context surrounded by better talent where he becomes like a floor raiser or an amplifier as opposed to needing to be a number one or number two guy. Uh, he's somebody that can, that can make an impact. But, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is coming off of you know a series of, of massive injuries that, Effectively, I mean, it seemed like it was going to end his career. 
Um, you know, the, uh, there are guys uh, sort of up and down these rosters where we're seeing tra- and also Cousins is, is still a li- like liability. You saw that the other night. I mean, yes, he put up 15 points and was a, was a massive contributor in that, in, in the offensive, uh, on the offensive end for them, but Phoenix went at him in pick and roll every time they got a chance to, and they were getting buckets almost every time they got a chance to. So it's about, it's not just can you find the talent, and that's, that's hugely important, but it's also can you put the talent in position to succeed, and also are, can you be, can you, are you willing to and are you able to live with sort of the, uh, the bruises in that apple? Can you, can you make it through the warts and live with those to be able to get, you know, uh, maximize what you can get out of them? And so the Clippers are able, or have been able to do that because, you know, Paul George is standing on his head at this point because, you know, and, and earlier rounds so they had Kawhi Leonard. You know, when you've, when you've got the sort of, num- you know, number one or number two, like the, 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 the big marquee players to contribute in that way, it gives sort of more space and more freedom for the other guys to, to sort of get in where they fit in and contribute in smaller roles or, again, you know, playing up against somebody's fourth or fifth best defender or only against second unit lineups, so on and so forth. So um, for the Jazz, what that means is, you need Donovan Mitchell to be great. You need Donovan Mitchell to be great every night. And he, I mean, that, I think that's one thing you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Donovan Mitchell was tremendous in this postseason. And, I mean, I'm somebody who has been uh, skeptical to, to some degree about whether or not a guy, you know, 6'1 or 6'2 can be your all-time creator, that can be the guy who is going to be going uh, head-to-head with these big wings who can sort of, you know, are somewhat more matchup dependent or matchup proof rather. Um, and Donovan Mitchell was, uh, you know, on fire. He was incredible um, before he picked up that knock. And so I think you, you, you come out of it feeling better about his capacity to be the guy who carries the offense and makes things easier for everybody else. But uh, you still, you know, you're still going to need more of those players who can match up on the wing, and you're still going to need more players who can contribute on both ends to, to fit in around him and Rudy. What'd you make of the Dennis Lindsay situation? I'll be honest with you. I don't really. I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, you know, Dennis Lindsay's. I think was the only 51, 52 years old. So it's not like this is him saying I'm walking off into the sunset necessarily. Um, you wouldn't be surprised to see him, especially with the track record that he built up in Utah of uh, developing that core and you know building a perennial contender there. Uh, the, you know, the, the sort of from the, the midstream rebuild with after losing Gordon Hayward for nothing is is you know that's the kind of thing that mid-market teams or smaller market teams just aren't supposed to be able to do. So um, I was a little surprised to see him go. But also, I mean, I think maybe the, the, the underspoken part in some of these things is that these are incredibly high-pressure jobs, and if you're doing them for a long time in one setting, maybe that just sort of grinds you down. Um, and so maybe there's part of it where it's just, you know, this is uh, an opportunity for a reset for him, or, and, or maybe the Jazz are looking at it and saying, we think, uh, it, to, to the point that we've sort of been discussing, the theory of our team changed, and we, had, we, we made a different sort of uh, stylistic calculation in terms of how we want to build out our roster and what kind of team we want to be. And then for that to hit into a ceiling or to feel like it hit into a ceiling also, maybe there was a calculation of we might need to have a different uh, approach to what the theory is going to be moving forward. And so, well, you know, we'll see. Sometimes change can be good. It can, uh, you know, elevate new voices. It can bring in new ideas. Uh, it can, you know, wind up creating sort of a different way of looking at things. And sometimes, you know, you, you wind up, uh, you, know, you know, looking back for, and, you know, wishing for a little bit more of what you have. But I, I think the, 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 re, the remaining brain trust, I think you still feel very confident in the work that those, you know, those, uh, those guys have done. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see where, you know, if Lindsay's name starts coming up as, as job openings, you know, 
around the league uh, pick up. You know, this you know, maybe not this summer. I'm not sure how many front office changes you're going to see, but you know, moving on down the line. There are plenty of Jazz fans who believe they just missed the best chance ever to win a championship. Uh, a lot of that's based on all the injuries around the league. But how good do you see the Jazz being going forward? How good can they be next year? I mean, I don't see any reason to think that they can't continue to be in that uh, upper echelon of the West. I think the, the 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 sort of the general underpinnings of what they are, at least as a regular, you know, again, as a regular season team. You know, the the ability to have a consistently good defense. You know, as long as you've got Rudy Gobert in the middle and, and healthy and available, you're going to have a top tier defense. Um, I think you again, you come out of this postseason feeling really good about what an offense led by Donovan Mitchell can be, especially as he continues to expand his range, expand you know the volume and the ability that he has to pull off the dribble, uh, and all that can open up for him and for for his teammates. Uh, you bring back I'm assuming you bring back Conley, and you know there the there's a you have the core of a you know top five ish team on both ends of the court coming back. So I think, if that's true, and you are, you know, uh, we'd have no idea what injuries are going to look like. Uh, I mean, we're also going to be coming off another shortened off season uh, for a lot of teams too. So, you know, with the last year, we saw that uh, wreak havoc on the teams that made it deep into the bubble. Who knows if it's going to be a similar story for the teams that made it deep into the into the the, the playoffs this year as well? But uh, I think you, as, as long as you have those sort of baseline fundamentals, you feel pretty good about what they can be as a regular season team. And if that's true, and you're talking about a team that's going to you know, be in the mix for home court advantage in the playoffs, like, that's a, a starting point that I think more, you know, at least more than half the league would feel pretty good about. Um, but I think that there, I mean, there are big questions. There's big questions about uh, you know, what they look like if they have to walk into a series against Teams that have two, another, you know, more series against teams that have like two or three of those kind of top end guys, especially the ones that are big wing creators or that are two way, more more complete two way answers than uh, Donovan or Rudy can be, just given the nature of their games. So um, it's not a satisfying answer, but I'll, I, I mean, I think what, where we come out, I don't know that I come out of it a whole lot different than I went into it with the Jazz, where I was like, that's clearly an excellent team. That has a, that can beat you in a couple of different ways, but there are it's it's not laden with two way guys who can sort of solve any problem on the fly. You need to find more of those guys in whatever capacities you can find them, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through the sort of bargain basement signings, whether it's getting lucky with development, that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, I think the the the, the they're going to be. As long as you've got Donovan and Rudy, I think you're in the mix. I think you're in the mix for a uh, uh, home court seed. Um, and then it's about where the bounces and the breaks go from there. Some talk around the Blazers and Damian Lillard. you think there's a possibility some action could happen there? Uh, I mean, I, would, I honestly would, I would be surprised if, he, if this is him, he's gone this summer. This feels more like, and this is you know, based on, this is pure speculation, but it feels to me more like, okay, I'm now not very happy with the way things are, are, have been running. I, I, I've, been, I've given nothing but my commitment to this organization. I've played at an MVP level year after year, uh, you know, been sort of the, the clutch answer that allows us to outperform our underlying metrics and all that stuff and keeps us in the mix. 
And I don't know that I feel like we are making the best choices as an organization in terms of how to surround me with a bit with talent and, uh, you know, put us in the best position to succeed. So I'm going to start shaking the table a little bit. But that's that I that to me reads in terms of like the steps that this goes in, like make things better for me here rather than get me out of here to something better. That's, I mean, just my read on it from 3,000 miles away. I, have no, I, I don't know, but I will say that the more, the messier it gets in Portland, first with Neil Shea uh, firing Terry Stotts and then going out and giving a press conference where he was saying, like, the roster is not the problem, essentially absolving himself of any blame in the situation and saying, I put together a, a championship caliber roster. It's on somebody. We've got to find somebody else that can make it so. And then following that up with a coaching search that – turned pretty toxic pretty fast, uh, where Blazers fans had a real, uh, you know, many Blazers fans had a real reaction, a real negative reaction to the idea of hiring Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups uh, as the head coach for, you know, their, their legal issues with respect to domestic violence or rape cases in the past. That became something that was a huge deal and obviously uh, was not responded to very well by Portland in their introductory press conference yesterday where they were not going to give any more information about why, what made, made them comfortable about Chauncey Billups being there, not even answering follow-up questions from reporters about uh, what Chauncey Billups learned from that experience, all those sorts of things. It feels like the, the, the way things are working in Portland is, is trending downward and maybe is not a working environment that if I was a superstar player, I might want to continue to stick around in. So if that keeps getting messier and worse, things could pick up with Dame. But I think my guess for right now is that it's, make things better here and then if that does not happen over the course of this you know this next season uh then it's you know then it maybe becomes i want something better somewhere else he signed for four more years so i could see where for two years he doesn't have that much leverage to force into trade but boy in two years the pendulum is swinging big time yeah i mean I, I, and uh, the the thing that happens now we're seeing it more and like, earlier and earlier with stars right you know it's four years four years is, is an awfully big pill to swallow but you know, we've seen stars force their way out with two years left. Um, you know, could it? And once that's happening, you know, is it insane to think that it could be three years? It, it, it's it's um, generally speaking, the rule has been if a star on this level, not just like a guy who's a nice player, but a guy who is an All NBA first and second team kind of rainmaker, an MVP candidate kind of player. If that guy wants something to happen, it's probably going to happen. So the question then becomes, at what point does Damian Lillard say, I want something to happen, or I want this particular thing to happen? And I think that the reporting to this point leaves us short of that, but I think it also leaves us a lot closer to that than we've been at any point during his tenure as a Blazer, and I think that has to be uh, you know, fans in Portland and uh, the remaining power brokers in the Blazers organization feel, feel a little bit skittish. Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer. Joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks, Dan. My pleasure, guys. Take care. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. Reacting to the question of the day, how are these NBA teams able to keep winning playoff games without their best players? And Lex says, they were all stars in college. Some never get a chance to become NBA stars because playing time and shots are going elsewhere. Give them opportunity, and they become who they always were. Stars? Everybody's right. a star? Everybody is. Jeez. 
Jonathan says, Jonathan Taverneri, former BYU Cougar, at any given moment, there are 510 players in the world with an NBA contract. Throwing 20 dudes in the G League who could crack a rotation, along with another 20 or so overseas who are also big time, that's 550 dudes out of 8 billion who are NBA level. Hashtag perspective. And that's fortunately I have it. You do? Yeah. Perspective. No, NBA talent. When you wake up to DJ and PK, and PK's in an argumentative mood, and he's got a guy grabbing popcorn, leaning back, and enjoying the show. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to come in right off the bat. You're right, DJ. You're right, DJ. You're right, DJ. You're right, DJ. <laughs> oh, passive-aggressive argument. To You're right, argue- DJ. Argument. I agree with you. Everything you say is right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I look forward to tomorrow already. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And by Friday, we'd be unemployed. You'd say, I can't believe today was a lousy day. Mike says the bench on those teams is stepping up and playing big when they need it. It's opposite of what the Jazzes did. Yeah, I think that's it in a nutshell, man. Can you really be argumentative if you're talking about sports? In a sports sense. sense. Which is not real. <laughs> <laughs> If this is the worst thing going on in your life, you are winning at life. Yeah. I'd say, first of all, the best players are overrated. For who? Oh, just generally speaking? Right. And that's why you can replace the best players, because they weren't that much better than the role players in the first place. They got the stats because they got the ball and they got the shots. And everyone has to defer to Well, I think what he's saying is that if they would have given the ball to Jimmer, he'd be an (laughs) all-star. I think that's the issue here. Peel away, and if you look a little deeper, I think that's a point. Tyler says, PK says there wasn't anyone available in the draft, but Desmond Bain was there, and all the fans on Twitter wanted him. He played great for Memphis. Seems like this was one the fans would have made a better decision than the pros. If we're going to judge it on one season, I suppose Desmond Bain is the bane of Dennis Lindsay's existence. <laughs> really like what you did with the word bane there. But I, I, I got to admit, I'm now missing your point. <laughs> you can't make evaluations off of a season. Desmond Bain. I don't remember the outcry for Desmond Bain. You're not on Twitter enough, right? I guess so. Maybe yeah. maybe that's what it was, yeah. And I, and I don't know. I, the, the number of people wanted, I'm sure some people did, but I wonder how many people did and how much of that is, you know, the, I was there when you scored 40. Well, then there were 100,000 people there because there are only 40 people in the gym and everybody talks about it. Good. All right, we're out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. See you tomorrow.